His devotion to her was absolute, and his one thought at the moment was to protect her at all cost. But he made no comment, merely went on calmly eating his breakfast. He was a steady, careful man, and his plans were made and in place. After finishing her cup of coffee, Elizabeth ran a hand over her mouth and confided, I never worried about her being ill, you know. I didn't. What was the point? And after all, we knew she was dying, that the cancer was eating away at her, that she was deluded about being pregnant. But last week, well, I couldn't help remembering things from the past, the good things and the bad, from our girlhood mostly, the time when our father disowned us both. Well, we were close then, if only for a short while. And the rest of the time I spent with her, Elizabeth broke off, shook her head. The rest of the time was extremely difficult. She was impossible. I was the enemy in her eyes. She was so very possessive of our father. My mother had usurped hers, and I had usurped her. My father, of course, being the great prize, that great bull of a man to be cozied up to and adored. All that's over. Don't dwell on it. You're starting a new life. This is a new beginning for you, he said reassuringly. And I aim to live my new life well, she answered, mustering a positive tone, and stood up, crossed to the sideboard, poured herself a cup of coffee. A few seconds later, between sips of coffee, she asked, Who knows about Mary's death? Everyone, I suppose. Not quite, not yet. Cecil looked across at the grandfather clock standing in a corner of the dining room. It's not yet eight, and it is Sunday, so I've kept my phone calls to a minimum, for the moment. Nicholas Throckman was the first one to phone me to tell me Mary was dead, and then immediately afterwards I heard from Charles Brokes, who announced the same thing. I assume Nicholas is on his way here, with the black box? He is. Actually, he's had possession of the box since Friday. Mary's people sent it to him that afternoon so that he could bring it to you immediately. They thought she was about to die that day, but it was a false alarm and she didn't. This morning, within half an hour of hearing the news, he set off. He's driving up here right now, and he asked me to tell you he looks forward to joining us for Sunday lunch. She smiled for the first time in days. I'm glad to hear it. Sidney Payne also phoned. He was all for hightailing it up here, but I told him not to. He explained we would be in London later this week, and I would be in touch then. He told me three people had called him already, so the news of Mary's death is spreading fast. Cecil grimaced. Everyone loves to gossip, to speculate, so important news spreads like wildfire. Leaning forward, Elizabeth asked with sudden eagerness, Who are we inviting to our first meeting? Your great-uncle Howard must be there. Your cousins Francis Knowles and Henry Carey. Sidney Payne should come. Plus some of the board members who have long been waiting for this day. She nodded. I know who they are, and I can't wait to see them. But what about those in the company who are against me? What can they do? Cecil asked, shaking his head. Nothing. 
They cannot challenge you, Elizabeth. You are the rightful heir to Duravenals through your father's will. Mary Turner, her sister, was dead. No, not Mary Turner, but Mary Turner Alvarez, wife of Philip Alvarez, the greatest tycoon in Madrid, a man who had used her money, weakened her resources, then abandoned her to die alone. Towards the end, Mary had had no alternative but to follow Harry Turner's wishes. Nonetheless, earlier there had been desperate attempts on her sister's part to cheat her out of her rightful inheritance. Mary had first named her unborn son as heir apparent, that non-existent child she fantasized about, the one she thought she carried in her swollen belly. It was not new life reclining there, but an inoperable...